Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast, where it is my duty to explore all things related to living an optimized and fulfilling life. I personally am on the never-ending journey to improve myself and figured why not share my findings and my conversations with as many people as possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there, read my blog, check out some apparel I designed, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Also, I would love to keep this podcast relatively sponsor-free, and to do that, I need your support through Patreon. You can visit the support tab on my website to learn more about that. Your contributions through Patreon will keep the Life Enchanted content flowing and will also help me dedicate more time to expanding the content, i.e. the blog and newsletter and whatnot. But most importantly, a portion of every cent that comes through Patreon and my online store will be donated to Metro World Child. You can find out more about them through my website on that support tab. Also, please consider leaving a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. For this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing one of my favorite independent Christian music artists, Taylor Armstrong. And I'm really stoked for this because Taylor and I have been trying to make this happen going back and forth for over a year now, and our schedules finally lined up to make it happen. He is a 28-year-old Canadian musician who has a very unique and original sound, and his music has had a powerful impact on my faith and my life as well. He's a prolific songwriter, he's thoughtful, and he's insightful, and I think you are really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, Taylor Armstrong, ladies and gentlemen. So I'd like to start with just some biographical information about you, do because in preparation for this interview, I really couldn't find too much info about your personal life, like where you're from or how you grew up or when you started playing music, etc. So walk us through some of that, man. Give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be to where you are today. Yeah. First off, sorry about that. That is not intentional. I kind of um, like it, dude. I kind of like it. You're you're just remaining low-key and letting the music speak for itself. Yeah, I I thought it was funny that you said that, um, that I, it was... I was keeping it low key. Um, definitely not intentional, um, <laughs> but probably a reflection of my personality. Um, I, I grew up in, uh, on the East coast, actually, uh, North America, I should say, because I was born in Canada. I was born in a province called New Brunswick. It's, um, man, it's, it's, in the middle of nowhere. So I grew up in rural isolation. I was born there, but then I moved to, um, I moved to Maine actually and grew up in Maine as well. Mm. So, so I lived in, uh, New Brunswick that's in Canada. It's, it's 
east of Quebec. Everyone's like, is that near Quebec? I'm like, mm. if you're, you're going to have to go even further east. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if I mention like Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, yeah, um, Halifax, like uh, like or Anne of Green Gables, that sh- have you ever heard of that movie or that show? Yep. Okay, so whenever I mention those areas, people are like, oh, okay, I kind of know mm-hmm. where that is. But, um, yeah, so grew up in that. Uh, when I was seven, my uh, my mom, uh, my mom, me, and my brother moved to Maine. Um, we moved to Maine because my parents divorced and my mom remarried a pastor uh, who was American. Uh, living in northern Maine, so we moved to a small border town again, more rural isolation, um, right on right on the border. Um, I I lived there right until I graduated high school in two thousand nine. Okay. Um, I was always kind of this uh, big city kid living in a small town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Always had big dreams uh, i can remember my teenage years getting really into skateboarding yes, and sir. and then eventually uh, music and so i was i was uh you know i was i was getting into subcultures and west coast lifestyle and just um a life beyond maine and a life beyond um small the small town life or whatever Mm -hmm. but yeah so i got into music um like when i was probably 15 or 16 got really into um again i was into skateboarding and then from skateboarding it was music i was kind of always going to different things before that it was sports i played a lot of sports i was super into baseball played basketball soccer um and then you know got out of that got into skateboarding got out of skateboarding got into music and music has been kind of the one thing that's been the biggest outlet for me (laughs) well without Mm -hmm. without getting myself hurt you know skateboarding i started to get like injuries and stuff and stopped doing that and uh but that was skateboarding is great too for like clearing the head and things and processing different trials and all that stuff you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, I love that stuff but uh but yeah uh music was becoming a outlet for me um to heal to process to get my mind off things um etc what, so, what was the first instrument you picked up I actually, you know, like most kids, started with piano. But how um, old were you when you started with piano? I don't, I don't remember to be honest. Did your mom make you, or was that your own initiative to do that? Or I think it was one of those situations where mom or or my stepdad got me into it. Probably mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I was in, uh, I think fourth grade, third grade. Um, no, that was fourth grade. I, I started playing the saxophone. Mm. So played the saxophone and, uh, I played that, you know, I still play it. I played it for, 
um, nine years all through school or until I graduated high school. That was my mom. My mom made me stick to it. I wanted to stop playing it because I was embarrassed <laughs> that I played it. But she, she's like, no, I spent like three thousand dollars on this thing. You're gonna, you're gonna keep playing it. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so um, played that. But when, again, when I was like fifteen or sixteen, I picked up the guitar. Um, my my stepdad had one. He he sang in a gospel group. He led worship at church. Again, he was a pastor. So I spent most of my time at church Wednesdays. You know, it was a Pentecostal church, so Sundays, mornings, and nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, grew up the you know in the church and singing worship tunes. Uh, my stepdad had a guitar around the house. I started picking it up, and he was teaching me. He was, we would jam together, and then I, I started taking lessons, um, kind of got into it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, right when I started, I would like, I wasn't super into it. Uh, I, I was out on my dirt bike a lot. I have this memory of one time I had, so I, I would go dirt biking and stuff, and I just wanted to be with my friends. I have this memory of one time I had a guitar lesson. And mom called me. She's like, "You gotta go." And I just like didn't want to go at all. I was, I would, I rather, I would have rather been out, you know, dirt biking, hanging with friends. At that time, it wasn't, it wasn't really like a passion until there was, um, until it, I really got into, just really got into it, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. And that I really got into it when I started expressing myself through music so mm. i tried to play covers i have memories of learning green day songs and all the old school like typical typical cover songs that everyone learns you know yeah um, and it i remember i would try to sing the songs and i couldn't i couldn't sing like the people did in the recordings and then it, I always felt super insufficient because of that like mm. I always felt really insecure I'm like I can't sing like them so I started singing my own songs and and I don't know just kind of naturally was uh writing songs you know I learned uh what's that one song oh uh Wonderwall yeah and so I learned those chords and I just wrote my own songs to those chords and just played Wonderwall chords and just wrote a bunch of songs. Hmm. And I remember I remember thinking back, you know, so long ago now, but I remember a feeling that I had. Um, I felt it felt really nice just to sing my own song as opposed to singing something that another person wrote and then feeling insecure about not yeah. measuring to their recording or quality or whatever. How old were you at this time when this happened? That would have been like when I would have been 15 probably. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any memories of like specific instances or specific feelings of those early songs that, that you wrote that you felt like were, were ways that you could express yourself? Can you share any of those for us? So I, I, I always remember this one, experience so i i was doing as soon as i got into it and realized that it was a thing that i enjoyed um 
I started to record myself. Um, instantly, I was learning how to record in my bedroom, actually, and like started recording my songs, and I started uploading them to MySpace <laughs> back in the MySpace. <laughs> so I had I had like three or four different projects. I got like man, I got really into it, and um, I would see all these other MySpace users, like musicians at that time, who were like teenagers posting, like, and they were just to me, it was like. Oh, I can do this too. So, so I started doing that. And then I noticed that I started inspiring other people in my school to do the same thing. And we started connecting. I started co-writing and um, had a little group and, and then another little group and then another duo. You know what I mean? There was like three or four different projects I had going on in high school. Um, so one of, one of them was like a, uh, like a hardcore band type thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't the singer because I wasn't sick, confident enough. I was I was pretty insecure in my voice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day the singer wasn't there, and I sang the song, and I remember how it felt that day. Mm. I remember this confidence that day hit me or I was like, oh, I don't have to like give, give this to someone else. Does it, do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. I could like, oh, I could do this too. Like, mm-hmm. I, oh, I can be more confident. Like I could just, I felt the difference, you know, mm-hmm. between when he sang, when I sang, I, you know, there, and I, I just felt like I could lead the band, you know? Yeah. So, which was really good for me because that's what I needed to, to push me to, to, in my confidence, you know? Yeah. And a lot, of, you know, you know, fast forward to today where I am today, I can easily say, um, a lot of this journey actually is about confidence, growing in your confidence and overcoming insecurities um etc so yeah what it i'm sure those insecurities try and creep back back in as they always do so what what is the self-talk like that you go through to to help overcome those negative voices or those insecurities that try and bubble up yeah um so i do songwriting coaching i do classes Mm. um and a lot of a lot of what I talk about is the psychology and um, one thing we need to do as artists is we need tools and we need we need yeah we need tools to we need to be equipped for when the when we're tempted that's a key word is that we we become tempted mm. to to um, you know, I, I become tempted to judge my song too early in the process. I become tempted to think, oh, this is a cheesy song or you shouldn't write this song or uh, it's too easy. It came too easy. You need to, to overthink it and work harder. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. this is kind of stuff that I deal with. And uh, and then it's a discouragement if I give into that stuff to not finish it because ultimately – 
as songwriters, we just need to finish more songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's going to hinder us from finishing more songs. So one thing that I do now is I when I when I when I hear or notice or feel that kind of temptation drawing in, I do my best to notice it as a temptation, get excited actually for when it comes because now now I'm seeing it as it as it is and um, can overcome it. Mm. I get excited now where I used to get discouraged. So I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, I know what that is. That's a temptation to try to discourage me to mm. not finish my song. And so it's kind of like a weird trick, that yeah. I, mental trick that I'm doing now where, or even if it's with my voice or, um, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody about um, limiting, limitations, limiting yourself to comfort and like genres sounds and scenes and etc um even if it comes to that you know we should never limit ourselves Mm -hmm. um, because of comfort so have you um have you read the book uh war of art by stephen pressfield i believe i have yeah where it talks about procrastination resistance resistance yes that's all i could think about as you're saying that and kind of gamifying it and seeing it as like oh there's that there's that resistance there's that voice and Mm -hmm. and seeing it as almost a competition and using it as fuel and flipping it um Mm -hmm. on its head and saying like all right there's that resistance now i'm gonna take the opportunity here to overcome that resistance and just being able to i think realize that it's always going to come up and being able to like label it as something instead of identifying with it but labeling it as resistance labeling it as a temptation or label labeling it as a, a thought that comes from the enemy or whatever it is i think is is super helpful in overcoming and then persisting through and and getting what you need to get done done i see that with my podcast too man like might be halfway yep. through like brainstorming a podcast or typing one out or something and it's like oh this is trash you know but then i see that as like no this isn't trash like this is what you believe in keep going keep going make some revisions all these different things so i think there's so much value in that man is there what other psychological principles do you talk about with with these songwriting classes is there anything else that you like to really touch on with these with these students yeah i mean identity is a huge part of it Mm. Uh, and creative freedom because ultimately again we just we need to finish more songs as songwriters and how we're going to do that is through identity having having more confidence in our identity or um getting to a place where we're creatively free where we're not bound by Oh my gosh! What's the church gonna think about me? They're gonna like. Are they gonna think I'm even saved anymore? Are they yes. gonna question my salvation if I think about this thing? Or, or like, here's my brand. Like, I can't stray from my brand. You know, that's something I I struggle with because I write these songs that aren't in my mind. Taylor Armstrong songs. They're like, oh, I should put it on another project mm. or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm kind of kind of being sassy about it right now but um but like honestly i i want to see i would rather see somebody 
experience their creativity and not be bound by expectations, fear of man, yes. um, expectations of what you should say, expectations of um, like what you think you should say, I guess, rather mm-hmm. because of the scene you're in, the culture you're in, or the church you're in, or whatever it may be, you know? Yep. That's good, so, man. Do you, do you know um, the blog, or do you know who Tim Urban is, perhaps? He has a blog called Wait But Why. I don't. He, uh, he said something on a podcast one time that I heard. He's an insightful dude, and this has always stuck with me, and I think would be beneficial for, for you and the listeners as well, and is uh, appropriate in, in kind of that thread you're going on in that. He, he has, a like I said, a big blog. It's called Wait But Why, and... He was explaining that his blog blew up when he was able to embrace that or or shift his perspective of his audience being a room full of himself. So like, what does, what does Taylor Armstrong want to hear? What does Taylor Armstrong, I'm going to write a song for Taylor Armstrong. What podcast does Nick Carlisle want to hear? Like, I'm going to record a podcast that would, that is directed at a thousand Nick Carlisles. And so he started writing blogs about what Tim Urban wanted to write about, you know, like an audience of just himself. And in that, his, his blog blew up and i think you could easily translate that to songwriting you know like if you're like you said identity like if you're com if you're comfortable and and secure and confident in who you are like you're a cool dude you you believe you're you're a believer you're you're competent you you're artistic you 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 know what sounds good you know what melodies sound good to you like i'm gonna write a song that sound that sounds great to taylor armstrong and in that some people out there are going to think it's dope too like you know even if it's 20 percent, that 20 percent is going to be my audience and then the next song might cater to the other 10 percent or whatever it is but just envisioning that like you are creating art for a for an audience of yourself i think is also a super helpful thing yeah um i think how i even got to that place was my own personal journey, um, you know, my own story of trying to measure up. Mm. You know, I told you even earlier in the very beginning, that's what it was like for me, trying to sing the cover song, not measuring up. Mm-hmm. And then and then trying to be the big worship artist that you see, you know, on the, on the stage with the shiny blonde hair and the, you know, the whatever the big voice and like trying to be the big personality person trying to be somebody not myself but thinking that's who i needed to be um and then again not measuring up going through the process of rejection um and i i could tell you a a whole story on that like um auditioning for worship teams um not making the teams for three years. Wow. I, I, uh, I auditioned for three years to be a worship leader because that's what I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to lead the church. I wanted to lead. Um, and that's because I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. And to me, that shows 
a platform and how to do that. And that, that to me, you know, I'm speaking past tense and still a temptation today to go there. But, mm-hmm. but what I'm, I guess my point is there's, you know, when there's a platform already there, it's easy to be like, that's it. That's what I have to do. Mm. Does that make sense? Instead of building your own platform. Instead of, yeah, instead of, or possibly thinking, oh, like, or instead of valuing the possibility of the calling that's on your own life, uh, holding more value, I guess. um, Yeah. Than than doing what you think you got to do. Dude, it's it's ironic when um, you you mentioned that you didn't get those worship jobs because as you're saying that I I just had pictures of you four months ago five months ago at Bridgeway Christian Church in Roseville you by yourself with your guitar um, with a spotlight on you the rest of the audience is you know dark completely dimmed lighting and. There was mm. tons of people packed in that crowd, man, and there you could hear a pin drop, and you just—I mean, it was one of the more. I, I've posted this on my Instagram numerous times that a video I took of of you singing "Nothing Ever Without You" because it was one of the mm. more like music moves me in a very spiritual way, probably a lot more than a lot of people. But I and I'm obsessed with it. But man, that that experience that I had of watching you play your guitar sitting up there by yourself and singing these like super deep and thoughtful songs to to the father was i mean one of the more powerful experiences i've had and it moved me tremendously spiritually and to this day i pull up those videos on my phone and watch them because it's just i mean the the melodies coupled with the lyrics and just the vibe of the the smoke machines and all that stuff man was was super cool and it's just like Man, you weren't to me. It's just so apparent that, like, man, you, you weren't called to be that that worship leader. You were called to be exactly who you were on that stage, moving yeah. people like me in the crowd, dude. Which, thank you. But yeah, and that's you know that's such a hard, that's a difficult path, man. Mm. It, to uh, to be pioneering something, yeah. Um, and to get to a place in your own heart where you're like, you know what, just maybe, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sacrifices that come, you know. Um, it, it could even go back to family stuff, you know. It's it's difficult to to pioneer something, um, and because sometimes people don't understand, mm-hmm. you know. You why aren't you like? working a career job or doing whatever mm. or you get what I'm saying? Totally. There's like there's there's just different sacrifices that that we that we have to make. But man, when you when you have something in your heart that you're chasing after and there's a dream that you're going towards and and you believe in it and you just know and mm-hmm. chase it like it's hard to for me anyway it's hard to not it's hard for me to give that up yeah um so that's what i'm doing i'm just 
following my heart and the pe- it's not like I'm just on my own journey, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not be here with I would not be here doing that without um, encouragement along the way. So I'm very thankful for for all the encouragement I got. You know, my family has been supportive and friends have been very supportive. I've had um, I've had friends even tell me like, "Hey, you're not that big worship guy that you're trying to be. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't make the worship teams because that's not who you are." Hearing that is so hard to hear, though. Mm. For for me, it's it's still hard to hear. I'm like, why not? Like, why am I not enough? You know, like why why not? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Totally. I'm, in my mind, I'm very much like, why can't I do that? Mm. You know, and so I'm still tempted to go there today. Um, but again, I think it's I don't know, maybe just part of the the tension of. I keep using that word pioneering something or chasing mm-hmm. your calling, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. from, from an outsider's perspective, man, and I don't know how accurate this is, but how I see it is that, um, I just, I, I can't help but feel like you are called to, to something more and not to get all therapeutic here and turn this into a therapy session, but I can't help but feel like, like your style of music and your genre of music and the way you songwrite, I think progresses the kingdom more so than these like pop jams that are being put out and like this rock star up front who has the skinny jeans and the mohawk and is extremely good looking or whatever it is you know like it's it's like the this the movement that you have individually is so much deeper than just that face on a stage it's like this actual you can you can feel the the reliance of the spirit and the communication with the spirit in your in your music man and that that's a hat tip to your songwriting and everything like that it's like it's just so much more powerful in in my opinion and i i feel like the world would be a a worse place we wouldn't be as as better off if you weren't doing that dude and i mean yeah the first time about a year and a half ago um it's about like 9 p.m. at night. My kids are sleeping. It's like a cold winter night. I went into my kid's playroom, as I often do by myself, put on my hoodie, put on my bows over your headphones. And I, I just have like these these worship sessions where I just put on some good, like not praise music, like not like elevation worship or any, you know, of these, nothing mm-hmm. against them, but it just doesn't connect with me. But like, oh. but like you and Ali Page and Rivers and Robots and, um, you know, Chris Renzema and all these these different dudes and Danny O'Callaghan if that's how you pronounce his last name like all these different cats and uh, so I went in there and I hadn't heard of you yet and instead of picking which songs I was going to jam out to that night I just shuffled the Rivers and Robots playlist and then um, this song came on super settled acoustic jam and it continued to speak to me this song in like a in a way that I desperately needed in that in that season of life and I had never heard it before and I look at after I get through it I look at the the title and it's come what may by by Taylor Armstrong um, yeah talk to me about what that song means to you man oh man um that one's interesting I that's one of the ones that I in the process of writing it was uh coming up against some temptations to judge it and all that because it it, i wrote it in like literally like an hour 
<laughs> and, and before that, most of my songs have been taken six months to a year to write. Wow. Um, partly because I, I was in school at the time, and that was kind of a priority. Um, so I wasn't giving so much time to songwriting. Um, but I wrote that one really fast, wrote the whole song, got to the last line, and then I wrote, even in an earthquake, even in a hurricane, and I realized that they rhymed, and then I went through and changed every single line that I had just written after I finished. <laughs> because, and I love to teach this in the songwriting classes. It's like we we live our life, you know, with our hands open, our palms up, saying "Your will be done," right? Mm-hmm. Like God. I surrender. We got to do the same with songwriting. So in that moment, instead of clinging and saying, I don't want to go there. I don't have to, I don't want to have to like rewrite everything. I, I said yes in that moment, rewrote the whole lyrics and I just went through, you know, even in a hurricane, even in a uh, tidal wave, et cetera, all these natural disasters rhymed. And I, I just started researching natural disasters and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, figured out ways how to use them to in rhyming uh and you know to to face to to phrase it right and for the song um it was all working out really well and uh i remember lovekin you know who lovekin is steven Mm -hmm. yes he's a he's a dear friend of mine this was the first time i met him he stayed at my house for a couple nights and i showed him the chorus and I was like, yeah, I don't really know about this thing. Like, I wrote this thing, but it's too weird, too easy. Like, I don't <laughs> think I'll, I don't think I'll write it, you know. And um, so that's kind of how my process was back then, and uh, which is a little different than today, to be honest. Uh, um, I, I'm a lot more aware of those thoughts these days. Mm. But uh, anyway, what what do those words me- mean? Come what may. I mean, yeah. so. A little context. One of the reasons it spoke so powerful, powerfully to me that night is because about six years ago when I was going through a lot of crap and junk in my life, um, Thrice and Dustin Kensrue, who I'm sure you're familiar with, they their music spoke to me a lot, especially Dustin Kensrue's acoustic stuff. Um, but in one of Thrice's jam called and- Anthology, at the end of it, he says in just an epic alternative rock voice, he just basically screams, come what may. Um, huh. And I put that, that was actually my my bio in my Instagram and like on my Twitter for probably three years, just come what may, three simple words that just really oh, spoke, yeah, spoke a ton to me. So what do those three words mean to you, man? Well... Well, the the chorus when I when I sang it, dude, I was just mumbling words. I was just, <laughs> uh, sometimes I do that; I'll just mumble words until something comes out. And I kept saying "come what may," and I was like, I, again, I, I was very judgmental back then. I'm like, no, nah, it's too cheesy. Like, don't I don't want to do that. It seems too typical. And um, I actually decided that I would possibly use it and i researched what come what may means right Mm -hmm. because it's a saying um so i went through and researched and like what does come what may actually mean and you know 
it's pretty self-explanatory. Come, come what may saying, hey, like, here's my interpretation. Life's going to come. There could be, you know, in the context of the song, could mm-hmm. be disasters, mm-hmm. heartbreak, um, grief, whatever. But despite all of that, um, I'll stay faithful. Mm. So, so this song was really kind of a cry of faith, faithfulness, but on my end, you know, mm. I will, I will stay faithful. I'm going to choose to stay faithful no matter what. Amen, man. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Same here, man. Et- we're promised eternal glory at the end and in all things, you know, God works for the good for us. So yeah, man, another one of your jams that has filled up, uh, those headphones in, in my daughter's playroom at night is, well, there's numerous, but another one that sticks out is tender, um, which is a super powerful song. Talk to us about the backstory and the, the motivation behind creating that song, man. Yeah, this is one I love sharing about. Um, the chorus of the song came first. I was struggling for a few days, going through some heavy things, and I kept breaking down and wondering why. And, and there's this one day where, where I came home, I was home alone, went to my bedroom, and I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? What is wrong with me that I feel so sensitive? Why am I so sensitive and everybody else is just okay? And, like, why does my heart have to feel all this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was questioning what was wrong with me. I was like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Like, why am I crying? Why do I feel this way? Or, you know, and uh, was curled up in a ball crying and something happened in that moment where revelation kind of hit me and the father's arms kind of held me. I was still crying and I was getting this revelation of safety and of tenderness. I didn't know really what that meant, Hmm. but, but I think in that moment, God was saying, there's nothing wrong with you actually. And he was saying, I just made you sensitive. I'm just transforming your heart, making you tender. And, um, it's okay to, to feel this way and to feel sensitive and to be moved in this way because it's, it's just a sweetness and a transformation of your heart. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with you. And, and then I started to think about safety and I was like, Oh, I'm just safe to cry. Like, like a baby cries in their mother's arms. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that mother knows how to comfort that baby and the baby might not stop crying. Right. Um, But the baby feels safe enough just to cry and there's nothing wrong with that child. It's just, Mm. you know, Um, so I felt, I felt, 
clarity of safety. And I was like, God, you're the safest place. You're the safest person. And I'm just being myself right now. I'm just crying and there's nothing wrong. And I just felt this comfortability in my own skin that really marked me and transformed me. And I'll never forget that encounter because I picked up my guitar in that moment with tears and everything. I was like, oh, and I was, like singing out the chorus and that came out of me it was like a gift god just gifted me with this chorus in that moment and it just poured out and i just sung it and i haven't changed it at all since that was the very first thing that came out wow and yeah um i had no idea what tender even i had no concept for that you know wow that's cool man. that's yeah. that's a similar story to what uh mark barlow shared with me actually on the podcast about um um i'm losing the the title of the song that he did um oh portion yes portion portion. exactly exactly and he was just in the midst of a struggle and just went to his uh his piano or his keyboard and those those words come out and it ended up being one of his you know most popular songs and most powerful songs which i i think is the same for you and yeah, hearing you sing that song live was was so epic, man. And you could you could feel the vulnerability and the emotion within it. I, I encourage all the listeners right now that to go check that song out and uh, yeah, meditate on it. It's so good, man. It's so good. Yeah, and that that's how I want to live my life as well as write my songs. I I really think that they go hand in hand, like my songwriting and my life they need to be um hand in hand so i i try to live my life genuine i try to just be you know i do my best just to be genuine have my heart posture genuine towards the lord and uh, it's really something i practice to you know in my relationships it's just i want to be real and i don't want to i don't want to just pretend like everything's okay and if something's not okay or, you know, I, I, I honestly, without oversharing, you know, I just like to be real. And I think that, uh, you know, I love the scripture, you know, that talks about God seeing the intentions of our heart. Like he's, that's how sensitive this life is where he's literally able to see, um, the intentions of your heart. Like, are you kidding me? That's huge. Like that leaves, that leaves space for creative freedom, mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier, because now I can, now I can write a song and trust that God is pleased with me. Yeah, if my intentions are are good, do you get what I'm saying? Totally, totally. Yeah, man. And I think, I mean, just that the whole being real and being authentic and being yourself is what it's kind of paradoxical, but that is what actually people want to hear. People don't want any other copycats. People don't want another, you know, whoever it may be. They don't want that, uh, the next version of that. They want something unique and different and they want, you know, originality to, to come out of it. And it's mm. backwards to what a lot of us do. A lot of us try, try and fit into a box that we see portrayed on social media or, 
wherever it is we try and you know emulate that and mold ourselves into that when when what really sells and what will really make us flourish internally and will help us you know gain the exposure and connect with people is just being who we are in our unique idiosyncratic ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when did faith start entering uh the picture in your life man when when did you really start embracing your your relationship with jesus yeah again i grew up in the church um i played in a worship band you know for youth group and had real encounters with holy spirit at you know 13 12 13 um but obviously at that age my my character was not able to handle some of those experiences so i so i stepped away um but 2012 2013 is when i really um needed to look um back to God and come back to God. Mm-hmm. So it was around that time. Um, and it was around that time really that I started reconnecting with my, my purpose and, and re and, you know, in that process of coming back to God, I was also coming back to, um, myself, mm. um, you know, who I was born to be. Cause I got very lost for a few years there. And, um, and, the identity of the band I was playing in and, and the identity of, you know, just nineteen twenty college lifestyles, you know, and, um, um, yeah. So, so it's been pretty consistent since 2013 of just remembering and going deeper yeah. and, uh, yeah. Compare, so, compare the, the manifestation of your faith now as how old are you? 29, 30? I'm turning 29 actually in October. Got you. So so compare the faith of Taylor Armstrong as a 28 year old compared to the the faith of Taylor Armstrong as a 25 year old, and in what ways mm. is is your life different, and how do you see the spirit manifesting itself, or just your life changed, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I never thought I would be where I am right now. Um, when I was 25, I was, I was working at a prayer and worship house. I was living a monk lifestyle. Honestly, I was in the middle of nowhere. It was this barn <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. The guy gave me a two-story farmhouse I lived in by myself. It was right on the property of the worship house, and I. I uh, stopped watching TV. I read the Bible in six months. I only listened to worship music, was isolated most of the time, and, and worship. My job was literally to worship six hours a day. So I did this for a year. I put in about two thousand hours of of, wow. uh, of time in the prayer room. And um, honestly, I make a joke about it, but I. I was basically living a monk life at that time. And and uh, I'm still seeing fruit of that season today, actually. There was tons of tears. There was tons of healing happening, encounters, and, um, the you know, uh, devotion being stewarded, cultivated. I, a, a, a lifestyle of worship was being cultivated. My sound mm-hmm. was being cultivated on the guitar. I was writing tons of creative songs. Tons of songs that just 
never really made it, you know, but that's actually where I wrote my first album, First Love. So I love talking about this uh, season because it's where I really honed into my sound and just and discovered more of my heart of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I even today there's gifts, there's blessings coming that I'm like, God's God's reminding me, hey, remember that season? Yeah, this is still the fruit of you're seeing the fruit of that season. Because um, I, I prayed for for doors to open to come back into the United States. I told you I was born in Canada. Well, um, my mom passed away in 2008. And so after she died from cancer, I moved back to Canada and I abandoned my green card. So, so I have had it in my heart since then to come back to America and I've been praying for doors to open. Well, the doors have opened. I've landed a job out here and, you know, they're sponsoring me for a visa. And I, I'd been, you know, been praying for all that. My heart fell in love with California. Mm. Um, so I prayed for doors to open in California and here I am in the most beautiful town in California, in my opinion. Yeah. Like never imagined it. Um, but, but yeah, man, it's just been, it's just been, been a, a, a difficult journey yeah but you know i went from there i went to a, a just a ministry school from, um from that season and then i was there for three years and it was during those three years um that a lot of the momentum picked up with my music and everything after connecting with some people in the ministry school then doing some tours with people who are in the indie Christian scene, mm. um, you know, um, all, all of that has been just totally answers to prayers. I mentioned love Ken earlier. Well, when we met, we realized that we were both running in the same direction. We were both praying for the same things. We were like, God, where is the community? Where are the others? Where are mm. the, like, we were both feeling like lone rangers um, you know, going chasing after the things, and then, then there was all these other names happening around. There was Lovekin, there was Jonathan Ogden, there was Mark Barlow and Ali Page and Sarah Jewers, and um, and then Montel Fish, and then everybody else knew it, other people. So you know, Antoine Bradford, and there's so many more. Mm-hmm. But it just started growing, and started with just a couple of us seeing, hey, like we're running in the same direction and I've heard of you guys, but like, let's connect and make something happen now. Mm. And, and, um, yeah, it was just such a special thing. We formed the tour one big family. And from there we've kept connections happening. Um, and it's just really cool. It's just really cool because to be honest, some dreams that I've had in my heart since, um, when I was like 15, when I first started, I mentioned, you know, I had big city dreams and I mentioned that I dreamt of the West Coast and, you know, I, I saw what, what others were doing. I saw what could happen with my, with my music. I guess, you know, I had dreams of my music being heard. I had dreams of touring and had dreams of being connected. And a lot of those things have come true. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so for me moving forward, it's like, well, most of my dreams and music have come true. I've never really thought I would, I never really wanted to be some big superstar. You know, I've just wanted to tour and have that experience and have community and have monthly listeners, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like other than that, like my biggest dream is just to be a family man, bro. Like, mm. like I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. I just want to like provide for family someday like those are my biggest dreams beyond music i don't want to be on the road all the time mm. but i want to have success in it you know and um i i definitely can't shake music because it's become such a a, th a thing that i've invested into and it's become such an outlet and such a therapeutic thing for me to heal and to process and and you know most of the time when I think I'm going to put it away, I'm, I'm like reminded of how impactful it's been for people and, yep. and it's bigger than myself, I guess. Mm. So keep going, yeah. man. Keep going. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I just, that, that's just what the spirit I feel like has put on my heart is just to tell you to just keep going, keep having those desires for a family and to be a husband and to, to, you know, live a life of worship, as you said, just, just keep going in the direction that you're going, man. I, I just see nothing but good things coming your way and, um, God is faithful, man. So just keep going. Mm. Thanks. Yeah, man. So I just have a few more questions for you. They're more rapid fire, uh, questions. I appreciate you sharing all that, man. I feel like we could unpack a lot. I, I mean, that story about you living as a monk in that two story house on that ranch, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on because I love to nerd out, nerd out on that type of weird stuff. But, um, yeah, yeah just, to, I appreciate you sharing just sure. a couple more questions, man. But, um, if you could recommend one book, uh, from any genre to someone what would it be and why it would probably be the book you mentioned earlier the war of art mm. because of the way uh, resistance is described it, you don't really get that anywhere else you know i never had that concept in my mind and like before i read the book of you know it's basically hey, when you're going to create, you're going to face resistance to try and get you to not create. And that's that's a huge um, piece of wisdom right there that yeah. can go along. Agreed. Agreed. If you could tweet, I'm not sure if you're on Twitter or not, but if you could tweet one thing that was guaranteed <laughs> to be seen by the world, what would it say? Dude, right now, um, honestly, I would be posting about <laughs> I would be posting about the human trafficking that's going on in the world right now. Mm. <laughs> I'd be I'd be posting about the pedophiles in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go there, but please, I'd be I would be posting about like the just you know it can be called conspiracy theories or whatever, but I've seen enough proof to think that it's true. Mm -hmm. I'd be talking about you know there's tons of child trafficking happening there's tons of satanic ritual abuse that involve children happening and people being trafficked and i would i would be talking about that and i probably wouldn't be posting anything about covid19 you know i love and, that and um yeah 
probably something about that just because right now that's what is um what i'm seeing a lot of um in that's what i'm researching a lot of right now yeah so yeah that's good man i love that you took that route um what what's next for taylor armstrong man i know you got a single coming out soon um what's next uh yeah i mean like i said i'm getting established here and set up and and i you know i got i got i got that going on in my life and in the meantime i'm also um releasing an album um coming up the next couple months there's a single coming up like you said next friday and then um the album the full album will be released a couple months after that so yeah you can expect that so stoked for it man where can people yeah. find you online taylor um so so yeah you, you can find me uh, on spotify and itunes um you know instagram my instagram handle is taylor the letter C Armstrong, um, just I Taylor Armstrong on all you know um, iTunes. Um, yeah, so that's that's where you can find me. Sweet, I'll put links to everything in the show notes as well. I highly encourage people checking out all of your music. It's it's amazing, and I'll continue to. Uh, support any way that I can, man, because I'm a big fan and I really appreciate uh, you and your vulnerability and your songwriting and just everything that you stand for, man. So keep doing what you do and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Of course, yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Later. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation and float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and the experience is transformative to say the least. And for listeners of this podcast, they are offering an exclusive deal of 40% off the normal price for a single float. Just go to CapitalFloats.com and use the promo code life enchanted with no spaces at checkout if you're in northern california you definitely want to take advantage of this please remember that i am not a doctor so definitely consult your physician before making any sudden diet supplement or lifestyle changes suggested in any of these episodes if you're interested in connecting with me you can send an email to nick n-i-c-k at mylifeenchanted.com or you can find me on instagram at mylifeenchanted peace